Hi, it's Paul Coker here. And in this video, we're going to talk about three strategies that you can use to improve your insulin sensitivity. In the last video, we talked about why insulin sensitivity is at least as important as your HbA1c. We also talked about how improving your insulin sensitivity makes your insulin behave in a more reliable and predictable way. And that may reduce the burden of your diabetes. The spreadsheet I gave you gives you analysis of your insulin sensitivity and it puts it into the categories that have been used in many research papers. But in this video, I will talk about how and why improving your insulin sensitivity is important, not only to your diabetes, but to your health in general. But even more importantly, it puts you in the driving seat of your diabetes and that improves your quality of life, or at least it's likely to. If you've not already downloaded the spreadsheet for calculating your insulin sensitivity, click on the link below this video and grab your free copy now. In the next few minutes, we're going to talk about what you can do to improve your insulin sensitivity, how long those benefits last, how you can maintain higher levels of insulin sensitivity consistently, and how that will benefit you and make your diabetes easier to manage. All of that puts you in the driving seat of your diabetes. But first, a couple of disclaimers. Nothing in this video is medical advice. I'm not a healthcare professional and I can't give you medical advice. In other words, you must always seek help from your medical team when it is appropriate for you to do so. I can share with you some of the tools, strategies, and even some of the science that I've learned over the last five decades of living with diabetes. And my aim is to help you to achieve your diabetes management goals faster, easier, and with less burnout. So let's talk about why improving your insulin sensitivity is a good thing. If you saw my previous video, then you already know that improving your insulin sensitivity, also known as reversing insulin resistance, reduces your risk of developing the complications of your diabetes. You also know that your insulin becomes more reliable and more predictable as your insulin sensitivity increases. But so what? Is it okay if I share a little bit of my story with you? I spent my first 38 years of living with diabetes on a carbohydrate restricted diet. I passed out with a hypo whilst holding my six week old daughter and I went and after that I went on to an ultra low carbohydrate diet so that I could get into the driving seat of my diabetes. So that would never happen again. I eventually got so sick of eating meat. I got sick of eating eggs, nuts and avocados. And eventually I even got sick. My doctor gave me ACE inhibitors to lower my blood pressure, to protect my kidneys. And this is a sure sign of insulin resistance. Or, well, high blood pressure is. I was also prescribed statins to lower my cholesterol. This was new to me. I hadn't needed these medications before going onto a low carbohydrate diet. Not only did this happen, but my energy levels reached an all time low. And the medications made me so sick that I literally couldn't leave the toilet. In short, my life wasn't really worth living. I needed something to change. Even though my blood glucose levels were great, my diabetes was definitely in the driving seat of my life. These are the things that you don't have to do. My experience showed me 
that having great blood glucose levels, which I did achieve on a low carbohydrate diet and great timing range, didn't equal great quality of life. It didn't mean that my risk of complications had reduced. In fact, because I now had high blood pressure, my risk of complications had gone up. I wanted more and I wanted better. I've got a simple belief. If I'm not getting the results that I want, then it's time to ask different questions. It's time to ask better questions. So I started to think about those questions. I wanted to make my insulin more reliable, more predictable, so that I could get more freedom from my diabetes. Can you relate to that? And I started to read the science and I spent years reading research papers. I even went back to university and did a master's degree in diabetes practice to make sure I was understanding all of this correctly. And that this was not just my N equals one, your diabetes may vary results. And I found that when my insulin sensitivity improved, my energy levels went up. And for the first time in decades of living with type one diabetes, at last I was in the driving seat of my diabetes. And it felt good. In fact, it still feels good. And this gave me the freedom to do some crazy things. So I climbed Kilimanjaro with the largest ever team of people with type 1 diabetes. And we reached the summit on the 21st of June 2014. I then went on to run 40 half marathons in a single year to mark 40 years of living with diabetes. And as you already know, I went on to study a master's degree in diabetes practice, all whilst holding down a full-time job, being a father and being a husband. And as I improved my insulin sensitivity, those medications for lowering my blood pressure and my cholesterol were no longer necessary. I was able to normalise those without needing my medications anymore. Now, I don't know if that will happen for you, but it was certainly a benefit for me. Improving my insulin sensitivity really did put me in the driving seat of my diabetes for the first time. The diabetes burnout was reduced. My energy levels went up. I had and I have more freedom from my diabetes. But this isn't about me. This is about you and your diabetes. So here are three strategies that you can use to improve your insulin sensitivity. The first is physical activity. Yes, I know none of us like that exercise word, but exercise and physical activity improves your insulin sensitivity through a variety of mechanisms. And the great thing is that the effect of improved insulin sensitivity lasts beyond the exercise itself for up to 48 hours afterwards. This means that to maintain consistently higher levels of insulin sensitivity, if you're using exercise or physical activity alone, you ideally need to participate in physical activity at least once every 48 hours. Some of us can do that, but that's not for everybody. Another tool that you can use is intermittent fasting. The science is clear on this. It shows us that fasting for 16 hours or more will improve your insulin sensitivity. And some people see some great results from eating in just an eight hour window every day. And if you can do this regularly, it can be beneficial, but the effects of that increase in insulin sensitivity are quite short lived, which is why you need to do that regularly. The third thing that you can do is to eat a whole food plant-based diet that's low in fat and low in protein, but high 
in unrefined and unprocessed carbohydrates. Wait a minute. Fats and proteins are the very things that you can eat without affecting your blood glucose levels, aren't they? And haven't you always been told to restrict your carbohydrates? Well, if you've had diabetes for a while, then you know that things are never quite what they seem. And the science shows us why. Would it be okay if I share some of that science with you? We know that fats and proteins raise blood glucose levels and they promote insulin resistance. Yes, I'm gonna say that again. We know that fats and proteins both raise blood glucose levels and they promote insulin resistance. There's a growing body of research that is trying to determine how to give insulin for fats and proteins. The most, the most notable of which is probably something called the Penkowska equation, which calculates something called fats and protein units. In the next slide, I'm going to share with you some of Dr. Carmel Smart's work. But don't worry, I'll explain how and why this is important. And you don't even have to remember the science. I'm just sharing to help you to understand the principles of what I'm saying. So this diagram is from Dr. Smart's research paper and it shows us that carbohydrates, proteins and fats will all increase blood glucose levels. If you look into the picture, what you'll see is that some of the boxes have a number beside them. And where there's a number, that indicates that there's an additional need for insulin. So if we look at carbohydrates, we know that it increases blood glucose levels. There's no surprises there. If we look at proteins, we know that they're broken down into amino acids, and that has two separate pathways. It can increase glucagon, and it can create something called gluconeogenesis, which is a posh way of saying, making new glucose. And that happens in the liver. It's normal, it's natural, it's not a diabetes thing. Now, gluconeogenesis increases blood glucose levels. So we need insulin at that point. If we go back to the other side where we've got glucagon, we see that we have glycogenolysis, which is breaking down of glycogen. And then we also have increased insulin resistance as a result of eating protein. So perhaps protein is not a free snack after all when it comes to diabetes and blood glucose levels. Now, if we move across to the other side, fat, we don't eat that much protein, even if we're on a low carbohydrate diet. We typically sacrifice carbohydrates and eat more fats. So what happens when we break fats down? Well, we have free fatty acids and we have glycerol. So glycerol goes on and it creates gluconeogenesis, making more glucose, needing more insulin, raising blood glucose levels. And then we've got the free fatty acids. And these are really quite fascinating. So they affect something called the PPARs, which are just a, it's just a really posh scientific name for some of the insulin receptor sites on the cell membrane. And they also have an impact on the free fatty, uh, sorry, let me put my teeth back in. They also have an impact on something called free fatty acid receptors. Both of these pathways will impact insulin release and the cellular response to insulin, meaning that when we release insulin or we inject it, the insulin has to travel to the cell and it has to bind with the cell where it can do its work and allow glucose to come into the cell. And suddenly by eating a higher fat diet, we're actually impacting upon the ability of insulin to function and that increases insulin resistance, needing more insulin and increasing blood glucose levels, needing more insulin. So 
although a low carbohydrate diet may reduce the number of units of insulin that you need per day because you're not eating carbohydrates it's not a sign that you're increasing insulin sensitivity in fact eating a high fat diet is very likely to increase insulin resistance unless it's accompanied by significant weight loss so here's the thing if you eat more carbohydrates it means that you've got less space on your plate and in your diet for fats and proteins and when you eat carbohydrates that are based on whole food plant-based carbohydrates that are unrefined unprocessed carbohydrates real foods then your insulin sensitivity increases and that puts you in the driving seat of your diabetes join me for this free zoom call see the links below on how and why this works and what you need to know to get you started and to get you in the driving seat of your diabetes Don't worry, if you're not a science nerd, let's keep this super simple. Fats and proteins will raise your blood glucose levels some hours after you've eaten a meal, and they will increase your resistance to insulin, reducing your insulin sensitivity. Don't worry, if you're not a science nerd, and this seems a bit complicated, let's keep it really simple. Fats and proteins raise blood glucose levels and include. Don't worry, if you're not a science nerd, let's keep things super simple. Fats and proteins raise blood glucose levels and increase insulin resistance.